Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined as always by our panel of newbies. Say hello, newbies. Hello, hello newbies. newbies. Uh, I see David with us. Prepare for proto-warp. Uh, Greg's joining us today. Give me a C, a bouncy C. Uh, there's DW with us. Pour me a whiskey. And uh, joining a special guest on this episode, it's our editor, Jordan. Say hello, Jordan. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, just uh, before we get into this, I want to give you a chance to tell us about a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got involved in our podcast, and some of the other stuff that you do for, for yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I started with doing a bit of editing for Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, and just talking with them about uh, what they're doing. And then uh, Mike got me involved in this, and I'm having a blast editing for you guys. And uh, it's been really fun being someone who hasn't hasn't read the books either uh, to kind of get the journey along along with you guys. So it's been a lot of fun. I did read the first book uh, as soon as I watched the first episode, though. I was uh, <laughs> I was I was sold pretty quickly, um, but uh, I haven't gone much further than the first book, so I'm still very new to all of it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I I run a few podcasts of my own. I run the music of Middle Earth. So I explore all of the music from uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, kind of through the lens of Tolkien's writing. So we talk about the movies, but I always look at it through the lens of the writing instead and see how the writing can inspire the music and back and forth kind of thing. So that's a, a lot of fun. I'm also, this weekend, as we're kind of recording this, I'm releasing several other shows of the same kind of idea, but in different fandoms. So uh, music of Star Wars, music of Ice and Fire for the Game of Thrones people. Cool. And I also run Star Wars Sound Design, which is a lot of fun. I, oh, I, nice. I, that sounds like a great Burt fan club there. <laughs> yeah, I break down how those uh, sounds are made, and then I recreate them myself, which is a lot of fun. Oh, um, sweet. Yeah. And uh, so. uh, Jordan, do we want to spoil for our audience uh, another podcast that you might have I, upcoming? I think you should. I think you should go for it. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, Jordan's been talking to me, and we're going to try to put together a few episodes of uh, the music of Wheel of Time uh, in, in in the fashion that Jordan was speaking of earlier, uh, as seen through the lens of the writing. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're yeah. going to have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and I think that uh, through our discussion today, we will uh, learn to appreciate the depth of this music and, and how it uh, it'll work with the, the actual uh, writing of the books as well. I think that... Uh, it lives up to the reputation, maybe you could say. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and cool. uh, speaking of that talk that we're going to have today, uh, today we're going to be talking about the music from the series. Uh, that's why Jordan is joining us. Uh, Jordan, being uh, our audio editor, does know a little bit about music, so we wanted him bit. here to, to give his thoughts as well. Um, just getting into it, uh, the, the composer for the series is uh, Lorne Balfe, and I have to... to Say Mia culpa because up until now I had been saying Lorne Balfi, which is incorrect. His his the correct pronunciation is Balf. Apparently, I was trying to to uh, pronounce it like the old tongue. Um, but uh, Lorne, uh, he he's a very prolific composer. He's he's done a lot of stuff. He's he's of an age of many of us on this podcast, kind of a mid forties. Um, and, uh, some of the stuff he's done in the past, uh, he did, uh, the last Mission Impossible movie. He's actually, uh, slated to do the next two Mission Impossible movies as well. Um, he's behind the Lego Batman movie score. 
Um, he did the score for Black Widow. Um, he has done the score for His Dark Materials. So he's been all over the place. He's done scores for a lot of stuff that a lot of us have seen. So we know this guy, even though we don't know we know and this a guy. Wide variety of styles. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, genres. And, and I actually went through and listened to some samples from a lot of those different uh, uh, scores just this last week, just to see if if there was kind of a through line. And yeah, he is widely varied in in what he can do. Like that Lego Batman movie, he almost sounded like uh, Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. And yep. then you compare him to Wheel of Time, and it's 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 night and day. They're two entirely different styles. So yeah, that's that's uh, Lauren Balf, the the composer, and and. We all sat and, and watched uh, with the, the Amazon X-Ray. They had some, some behind the scenes of the music, which we discussed last episode a little bit. And there was, I also sh- shared with you guys a, an interview with Lorne that he did with uh, Matt Hatch of The Dusty Wheel, uh, which is a great YouTube channel, but only go there if you're a book reader. I really don't <laughs> recommend it for the non-book readers. <laughs> uh, you're going to get spoiled really quick. But uh, that was a spoiler-free interview that he did with Lauren, and there was a lot of really interesting information in there. Um, I like. You want to give the Lorne... seven-minute, thirty-three seconds or something in, so that they don't get any spoils from the rest of that interview. <laughs> Go to the Lauren one; it's yeah. seven minutes and thirty-three seconds. <laughs> That's actually seven hours and thirty-three minutes. Believe it or not, that was from the. Uh, um, so that was the day that the first trailer dropped. And the Dusty Wheel did an all-day marathon live stream that was wow. like ten wow. hours long. Ooh, wow! Yeah, and 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 Lorne was at seven hours and thirty-three minutes into that. That's, so yeah, it, 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 it was that's some fandom. Yeah. Um, and you guys thought I was a super fan, <laughs> <laughs> but you are. <laughs> You've just got other things to do. So in that, I noticed Lauren saying a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, he was saying that he really wanted to work with the old tongue uh, because he had this language available to him and he wanted to work with it. And he wanted to make it work like an opera where anytime there were lyrics available in the score, they were enhancing the scene and describing something happening in that scene, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Well, it's so cool. one of the brilliant things about opera is you can watch the show not speaking the language and still get a general idea from the way they shape the the words of the of the song and the emotions they're presenting and stuff like that. You get a general gist, although some of them will even have translations. So it's kind of neat. I, I wonder if eventually they'll get to the point where Old Tongue will be like subtitled in a translation on the bottom during the songs, because that'd be a neat thing. Yeah, that would be a fantastic. Um, and then uh, some of the other behind-the-scenes stuff there he was talking about. Uh, uh, did you pick up when he was talking about the dragon horn? Seems like a really cool instrument. Yeah, yeah it, it does. Um, um, so so, so I'll, I'll explain this. Uh, it, it, it's a, a horn of Celtic origin. Um, it, it, it's a very strange looking horn because you blow into the mouthpiece and then it immediately makes a right angle. It goes straight up and goes straight up for about eight to 10 feet and then has a dragon head looking thing at the top and it's called a dragon horn. And of course, Lauren Balfi heard about this or probably already knew about it, knowing how much he knows about music and said, well, that has to be in in the show, obviously. I mean, how can it not be in the show? And the sound that that thing makes is amazing. So I'm so glad that he did that. 
<laughs> so uh, with that background with uh, Lorne Balfi and, and just some of the fun interview stuff he did, I just want to jump right into the music. This music was amazing. Um, and I want to hear some of your thoughts about it. Uh, uh, Greg, what do you have? Sure. Uh, I spent the past week or so listening to the soundtracks uh, as available on iTunes, which was a lot of the background music and, um, you know, just the score of the, of the pieces. And I did notice that he has some, some things that carry over from piece to piece that are, are pretty, pretty, you know, standard for what he's doing in this, uh, with this show. He's got a lot of drone going on. There's a lot of just this low bass keyboard pad that's just kind of sitting there and it just, and it just, it just kind of growls in the background and it it really sets the tone for a lot of the, you know, the darker, uh, the darker moments. Uh, There's one, one exception on there that uh, the, the Trollocs attack uh, (laughs) piece, which that is almost industrial. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it comes across very like a, 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 a I don't know, a front two four two song or something, right? Just a, a, a Knights of Reb, maybe just a, you know, join in the chant, just yeah, yeah. Catches you off guard too because it's an instrumentation instrumentation change that you're not used to with track to track right. on this. Yeah, you get some much. electric guitar, you get a little bit sharper uh, uh, percussion because a lot of the percussion is very muted and you know just sort of round sounding but that one it gets a lot sharper and a lot more in your face it amps up the anxiety for the audience listening to you it it sets a perfect tone Mm -hmm. and 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 like and like i was saying in the last episode with uh the instrumentation there's a lot more electric guitar in there than i than i thought i initially caught some the first time i watched it but listening back it's like that's something you don't hear in a lot of fantasy. And, and I think that's probably on purpose because for some reason or another, um, heavy metal music, you know, especially kind of that, that operatic metal music has mm-hmm. been associated with fantasy probably back in the days of the seventies when you would paint pictures of, of Vikings and, and scantily clad women on the side of your van, you know? Yeah. But the thing is and, you were doing that with Molly Hatchet, which was Southern rock, which didn't quite work, but then yeah. you get the British new wave of heavy metal and then it's like iron maiden and yeah. it works. So, and, and I think that that's probably why that, that, uh, guitar is there. It's, you know, a shout out to that, you know, Hey, metal and fantasy have a, 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 a long history together. So let's, let's acknowledge that and just put it right there in the score. It's also, yeah, which, yeah. It, it's, it's also interesting that one of the things that I was listening for, and as soon as I was starting to watch the show, I was thinking about how is this going to sound compared to Lord of the Rings? <laughs> and I think that that guitar is a very quick instrumentation change that pulls you out of the typical uh, fantasy score that we're used to, which is the Lord of the Rings right now, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. The other beautiful thing that it does. uh, And I, I, I loved the fact of the bringing in the electric guitar for the reasons you guys mentioned, but it also being paired with such older instruments, like even the dragon horn, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the pairing of the old and the new is so wonderfully unique to this series because this is a series that is both futuristic and fantasy. 
Right. It is, you know, the post-apocalyptic or post-post-apocalyptic. So you still have this high science and the, the, you know, the, the, that feel of this could be the future Mm -hmm. while still having all of the elements of the fantasy that we always associate as being set in our past. Right. So marrying those two did a beautiful job of like making you kind of wonder where this comes from. Is this future? Is this space? Is this fantasy from our past? Like it it leaves it nebulous. And I love that. Exactly. I mean, you look at a lot of sci-fi you've got, you know, with sci-fi, you've got a lot of, you know, synthesized, you know, you look at your- A lot of theremin. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the, look at your Vangelis and your Tangerine Dream. And, you know, like I think of the Blade Runner soundtrack, which is just all synthesizer uh, analog at that time and not, but not really that that harsh digital sound but uh yeah that's where that goes and then you look at the more agrarian ones and you've got a lot of folk instruments and things like this this Mm -hmm. throws them all together you know it's you got the electronic sounds you've got the you know the acoustic folk instruments you don't know where the hell this is coming from one of the things that i really enjoyed and just because we're talking about guitar right now I enjoyed how from the from the very beginning, you know, when they're uh, enjoying themselves um, and the the kind of adventure hasn't started yet, we get a lot of acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. a lot of really nice, you know, folky kind of acoustic guitar, and then it kind of transitions into metal guitar, which is really kind of a, a subtle but cool change that happens to bring us out of the comfort zone with the characters, which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like that, that, uh, choice they made with wanting to make the, the music of the two rivers and the music of the, the various areas here, like very folky in, in origin, you know, they were like Mm -hmm. a lot of times these, these fantasy shows just have these big soaring strings and, and choir sections and things, but they forget about the, the down to earth music. And they were like, no, no, let's, let's get some old crusty, dirty guitars and a washtub bass and make some music. And Mm -hmm. And they didn't have that dark undertone that Greg was talking about until after the Trollocs show up, all that music from the two rivers is bright and happy. And, and then everything after the Trollocs show up becomes that dark undertone where there's something in the background that's making us remember that there's darkness in this world. But in that same vein, they beautifully used the Manatheran song to be them kind of reaching back to the folk, folksiness of Two Rivers in mm-hmm. a moment, knowing that they're heading into danger. It's like, let's go back to the safety of the music we know and have sang around the tavern. Right. Well, One thing that I, I wanted to ask you guys is generally, you know, if we're looking at composers generally, I kind of see two different trajectories most of the time thematic driven composers like Howard Shore for the Lord of the Rings is, is really thematic based, right? Comparing that to um, Hans Zimmer's more modern stuff like Dune, where it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's basically a soundscape or sound design more than it's thematic. So what do you guys think of this soundtrack? Is it more thematic or is it a soundtrack or is it both? I get a little of both in it. There, there are some definite musical, uh, motifs that that show up uh with along with characters um but it it really seems to be there to set the scene uh it does it does a really good job of that uh it's it's something you don't really notice a lot of the music 
for the most part during like dialogue scenes and things like that, where there's just sort of something there, but listening to it on its own, it's like, yeah, okay. I'm back in that. I'm back in that spot. Well, earlier you were talking about, there was a lot of drone type sounds going on underneath a lot of it and kind of setting a mood. And that's really reminiscent to me of, of uh, Hans Zimmer. Was it Hans Zimmer that did uh, dark Knight? Yeah, yeah, that's the that's very much the Hans Zimmer like influence. Yeah, the, of I modern mean, the, the Joker's theme was just one right. drawn out note yeah. on a on a detuned violin. So you know, yeah, yeah. and, and like looking that. and looking at Lorne's uh, discography, he's done a lot of co compositions with Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. So they've collaborated on that uh, interview we referenced with Lorne Ball. He mentions that he has themes that he created for this show. A lot of them, what was there, like 10 or 12 different themes for the show? So he created them. There was themes, but I don't know that that comes across necessarily when you see hear it mixed with the rest of the music. So he's kind of used them in underlying ways or mixed in. That the themes in this, um, they don't stand out at first, uh, but once you watch it through a few times, you start picking up on those themes. Like, mm-hmm. like I would say the first time I listened to the theme song, I thought it was kind of meandering and kind of like, well, this is never going to get stuck in my head. And then the next week I watched the theme song and it was just going through my head for the rest of the week. So it, it, it felt to me like something that, that, you know, he plants a seed and then lets it sprout. But that's the sign of a great artist is the person who can do things within their art that you don't notice right away that are affecting you in ways and and helping you down a pathway. Mm-hmm. But you don't see the brushstrokes. You right. don't you see the, the painting and you're lost in that painting. And sure, you look at it long and you're like, oh, OK, I see where the brushstrokes are. But that first initial experience, you're getting the whole image. And that's he did it with music beautifully. One of the uh, best kind of movie scores are the ones that turn into earworms and there's Mm -hmm. not very many of them out there. I was telling the group earlier that the uh, white cloaks theme for the white cloaks that uh, in listening to, for this episode, it turned into an earworm for me and I, that surprised the crap out of me. I did not expect that. So since before the, the show started, uh, they'd released a couple tracks early and uh, Mashiara has been stuck in my head for like the last two months. Like I, I like the lyrics in old tongue are constantly <laughs> going through my head. Like, <laughs> it is just stuck in my head and it is so good. So yeah, he definitely you, crafts a good earworm. You mentioned that song and the notes that I've made, like I made the, the one video you had, you put up for us to listen to that had a list of the songs. It's not the whole uh-huh. soundtrack. But the notes that I made on Mashiara were that it felt like uh, modern religious songs you hear on the radio um, on those stretch of of uh, like middle of the farmland in California kind of area mm-hmm. where it's like if you listen to the lyrics, you can tell that it's trying to get a religious point across, but it's really just trying to be a ballad and like, no, we're just music. We're not. Yeah. And that felt it's a pop so song, not a praise song. song. Because like when you look at the translation of the lyrics, it also had kind of a hidden religious feel. Like we're not trying to to beat the religion down your throat. We're just kind of mentioning it. And, you know, you could also just listen to this and apply it to other things. Maybe it isn't about the religion. Maybe it's just, you know, it, it, that, that that nebulousness that is in some of those lyrics. It was beautifully done, beautifully married. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that's probably a good... Uh point for us to go ahead and just discuss those lyrics because uh those those are some really cool lyrics um 
Mashiara. It's it's uh, I'm it's Lan and and Nynaeve's love theme. Um, Mashiara in the books is what Lan calls Nynaeve. It it means uh, beloved or uh, something to that effect in the old tongue. Um, and the translated lyrics from that song are, "Cunning wisdom, I give you my heart. Let us tear down each other's walls." May the threads of our fate be intertwined in a noble braid, all that I seek. Is the warmth of your touch a raging sun, is born from our love. And then it just repeats again. Nice. Um, but it, you know, those lyrics going in the background, anytime we see these two having a a very tender scene, it, it just adds that much more to it in my in my feeling about it. Um, I mean, the the lyrics there's not much there, but they're pretty deep. I love the fact that they were able to even uh, work in the braid into the lyrics mm-hmm. of the song. Um, yeah. It, it's just what Lauren, Lauren Balfe has done with this is just amazing. And, and I'm saying that not as a wheel of time fan, but as a music fan, like this, like, this soundtrack, it, it, there are a few soundtracks that are in my favorite soundtracks of all time. And they are, you know, they, they surpass the, the, whatever they came from. And those are, um, the soundtrack to uh, Tron Legacy, which is way better than the movie ever was. Daft Punk, yeah. Uh, yeah. The soundtrack to uh, Fury Road, which is just as good as the movie Excellent. is, which is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, Who did that and, one? Uh, that was uh, um, Hans Zimmer and Chunky XL. Oh, nice. Um, and yeah, just, just, you know, those types of soundtracks, uh, the, the soundtrack to fight club done by the dust brothers, again, oh, yeah. a, 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 you know, that was a good movie, but that was an excellent soundtrack. Yes, and and that's how I feel about this wheel of time soundtrack. It, it, it's, you know, it's an amazing show, but the soundtrack stands on its own and it is amazing. And I'm listening to it just as much as I would, if I wasn't a fan of the show, it, it's, you know, so I'm the mention it. of the braid brings back a question that I've had about it is, do all wisdoms have braids or is that braid something of the women's council from two rivers? Uh, the braid thing is, is uh, really a two rivers tradition. Okay. So that the interesting thing that that does is that makes this so much more specifically about yeah. the two of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's the wisdom with the braid. Yeah, actually uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about the braid because uh, something about the braids from the books Um Outside of the two rivers, uh, braids are looked on very much like they are in in kind of modern society or or modern ish society, which is you know braids are for little girls and women wear their hair in, in other ways. So it's kind of you know backwards in the two rivers where you hair wear your hair loose until you're old enough to have a braid, and it was kind of a culture shock when they left the two rivers because of that. So just a little to look forward to in the differences yeah. between the books and and the show. Okay. Cool. Yeah, going back to the lyrics, it seems to me that if you're a performer performing this music, it helps and informs you so much more if you know what those lyrics mean and mm-hmm. can put yeah. emotion behind it. So I, I have to think that there's so much more performance in these ones where they have the lyrics and know what they mean, that those performers can understand the music that they're singing. Yeah. yeah, well, that, that comes into uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the female vocals, especially the choral vocals, are done by the group Our Native Daughters uh, with Rhiannon Giddens. Um, I'd mentioned in the last one, uh, they do a lot of uh, you know native music and native language, and they're not necessarily the 
you know, the, the dialects that they are each familiar with. They're from all over. So it's not like it's one particular dialect from one particular uh, group of, of people or tribe. So they, you know, they, they kind of go all across North America with, you know, the, the lyrics that they have and they translate and they do it. They're used to that. So it was, it was really interesting that they got that group to, uh, to do those, those performances. Well, and it's something that you want from any uh, good performer. If you're singing in a language that isn't your own, you need to at least know how to say that song in the same way that if you're performing a poem that's not in a language that's your own, you should know what you're saying. Otherwise, the poem is going to sound like a non-native speaker speaking it, and it's going to fall weird on people who understand it. So the fact that they took... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The fact that they took the time to treat this as a a legit language and we're going to learn the language, we're going to speak the words as they're supposed to. We're going to put the inflections you heard in the in the uh, creating the music thing. Them talking about trying to figure out where in this non already spoken language, where are the inflections? Mm -hmm. What what syllables do you accent? And the fact that they got to dive into that and how much they clearly loved diving into that. It, we can hear that come across that love of the, the creation comes across in the, in the product. So background on the, on the language, uh, the old tongue, there is an old tongue dictionary out there, but it is by far not a complete dictionary. So it, it, it is a, it's not a complete language in the way that a Tolkien language is a complete language. Um, but it, or that there Klingon is has evolved into kind of, yeah, yeah, it, it's closer to Klingon than 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 what uh, uh, the Tol- what Tolkien did with languages. But the he set the rules there and and uh, set some prefixes and suffixes and compounding of words rules in place that made it so that the small dictionary gets a little bit bigger. And then with with the show, they've obviously just had to expand out and start making their own old tongue dictionary. But they brought in a linguist to do that who is following the rules and and the words set out by Jordan. So I am so looking forward to hopefully them releasing that full old tongue dictionary, because Mm -hmm. that, that part of this, this, these books I have been nerding out for forever. I I love trying to translate old tongue. I have no doubt it's coming. I mean, part of the reason that you have Klingon as treated as a spoken language at a lot of conventions and stuff like that is because people with linguist and non-linguist skills have just poured over it so much that they've done what this show is now doing for the old tongue. So you're getting it flushed out and people having to figure out how to translate words that nobody in the books would ever say. Because if it's going to be a speakable language now, you need to know how to say television. You yeah. need to know, say like it, and it needs to sound correct with the language. So bringing in a linguist, they're going to put together. I have no doubt there will be a dictionary. Yeah. Your dreams will come true, and I believe you will be one of the fluent speakers. I have no doubt. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like when, kind of like when Game of Thrones uh, took off. There, you know, there are Valerian dictionaries out there now. So yeah, you know, and Elven dictionaries for Lord of the Rings, and you know, right. there's, there's all of it. But a lot of that came from Tolkien himself. True. I was true. gonna say Tolkien actually wrote the Elvish dictionary, yeah, and the yeah. Elvish rule <laughs> yeah. book, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Elvish has left the building. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jordan, I know uh, pre-production we were talking. You said you had a couple of uh, things that you wanted to dive in on. Uh, you want to bring one of those up? Well, I, I wanted to talk about one specific kind of thing that I really enjoyed. 
um, which is, and, and you might have to fill in uh, maybe the names of some of the pieces if you know them or if we want to <laughs> provide that to people. But yeah. um, the, there's maybe the first thing that I can talk about is that I liked how there was basically a moment from each episode that ha had like an epic or an emotional moment that was almost always cued by music in some way, mm -hmm. which seems pretty normal, but I like how they did it in this show. So in the first episode, when uh, Moraine kind of goes full out, we <laughs> get that, uh, that vocal uh, theme that comes in, right? Right. And what I really liked is, and we can talk about these moments from the other episodes if we want, like the the, the song that they sing together as they're on their horses and whatnot. Mm -hmm. There's little moments like that that I feel like always have an impact in each episode. But um, what really stood out to me was we hear that piece of music, or, or even more subtly, we hear the vocal happen when she starts to use her power for the uh, like at full capacity, I could yeah, say. Yeah. And then when Nynaeve uh, unleashes the first time, mm -hmm. we hear it again. And what's really interesting to me is when Nynaeve saves the day later by unleashing again in the, mm -hmm. uh, oh my gosh, the passage Ways. later. Yeah. yeah. Ways. Yeah. That moment was so awesome to me. And I was excited to hear you guys talk about it. But um, it was so awesome to me because that music started to happen before she did it. So you oh. can hear that theme building up behind her. So even if you're not aware of it, um, you're like uh, subconsciously aware of it. And so it builds, the, yeah, it builds the momentum like crazy because it happened when she unleashed the first time it, like she kind of unleashed and then the music comes in and then the second time it's like it's like a prelude to her unleashing so you're like what's going to happen here but you already know what's going to happen because he's already cued you into it right which is pretty amazing and subtle i would say so well in in that scene i i think i must have been cluing into that because i didn't I, I wasn't consciously picking up on that, but as soon as, as Mach and Shin started talking to Nynaeve, I was just like, oh, you oh, bad idea. Fucked up now. Yeah. That's because <laughs> her, her power music was already playing. Yeah. Yeah. But is that yeah. also, is that the moment before, wasn't it actually Rand that used the source? Uh, no. Uh, Rand is the one this that is used after it. that. Yeah, Rand used it okay. and called Mach and Shin when the troll. Right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And yeah, Nynaeve was using it to push Mach and Shin away as they were escaping. Yeah, so as it was like as she started to stand up and it was like swirling around her before she kind of unleashed. Yeah, it was already starting, and I was like, "Oh man, this is so good." Because <laughs> it's so, it's so and about to get real now. But that's that's what's okay, so awesome about it. Now I want to be though. able to watch these episodes using Jordan's ears because I feel like he's <laughs> no picking kidding. out some musical cues that I'm not even picking up on. And well, do you remember what the name of that song is? 
I don't. Um, I know. No, that... I was asking Ruark. Oh, okay. uh, I I couldn't name that okay. one. No worries. No worries. Yeah. And uh, what I, what was interesting was I was looking through the soundtrack is a little bit hard to navigate. I found. Um, yeah, yeah. The way that it's kind of separated on Apple and whatnot is confusing a bit. But yeah. when you look when you look at the volume one, I think it's called right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's the Trollocs attack is one, mm-hmm. and then there's right. the Battle of Beltine, Beltine. Right? <laughs> and it doesn't have that part. It doesn't yep. have that part that I'm talking about, and which oh, is so I had to go back to the show and be like, wait a second, I'm pretty sure that that cue happens, and that okay, so that cue happens, and it's basically like if you hear that female vocal, you know that something's going to happen. Yeah, and I just thought it was really cool that. You know, I'm, I, I'd have to double check again, but it's there's definitely not a prelude to it when she first uses her power mm. uh, because we don't that because you don't want to give it away basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that build up in in the ways is oh, really really interesting. So I I think the piece you're talking about and it's in volume three. It's called Assaulted by Voices. Yeah, I think it is. It does show I up think in that's that one. The yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did they use so, it again at the end when they're uh, defending Faldara? There's a variant of it. And there's okay. a variant mm-hmm. of it. It's not the same one. And the instrumentation or the uh, the kind of mix of the vocals and how they're singing it is different. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more what you would expect. It's a little bit more of a battle version of it, um, which is really interesting. And it only that moment is really interesting as well because the theme happens and then it kind of gets to its kind of climax and then holds a note and then it's back to Rand and we don't even get the whole thing. We don't even really get the whole moment because it, it, the, I mean that whole ending is so back and forth and back and forth. Um, but yeah, it just like it switches into that drone that we were talking about earlier actually. Um, which, does lead me to a, a point that I had mentioned before we started recording, which I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, which is mm-hmm. m- this could potentially be, I liked how they do it, but it could maybe be seen as, you know, maybe people think that the Rand moment was maybe anticlimactic a bit because it didn't have the music cue that cued every other big epic moment. It was a pretty much sound design in that moment and a lack of a big music moment. So I was interested what you guys thought of that moment uh, from a sound perspective. I wonder if that's their subtle way of saying that we're trying to tell you that this is the final battle up front, but then ultimately it's going to end up being not the final battle. So the fact that it's anticlimactic is okay because it's really not a climax. It's yeah, the it's beginning true. of the piece, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. True. And I think that when, you know, when you watch that moment again, um, he's got a little smirk on his face right there, right before he, he ran like makes him disappear basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I noticed that as well. Yeah. 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 So he's not, yeah, uh, he's not too worried. <laughs> yeah. That's why I mean, one of the things I was talking about in the wrap up of that final episode was like, did did everything happen exactly how he was hoping? Did this pan out? Like, were there multiple options? But okay, good. No, it went. It still went one of the options that I wanted. Maybe not the first option, but we're okay. We're okay. I'm out. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So, so thinking about 
that and what you were saying about that musical theme there, um, it makes me, th- uh, uh, just brings to mind the, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this. So the, the first book, uh, the eye of the world, it pretty much contains the entire hero's journey right there in the first book. Like, you know, you've got the the Definitely. farm kid who goes out into the world, discovers he's the savior of everything, and then goes and fights the Dark One in, in the Shadowlands by the end of the book. You've got the entire hero's journey beginning to end happening there, and that's the end of the first book. Where the hell are they going next? Yeah, that's exactly that, my Which thoughts. I think was kind of Jordan's <laughs> idea. Like, let's let's do all the, the cheesy rehash stuff right up front and then move into something new. Just in case I don't get a sequel published. Yeah. Yeah. His wife was his editor and and his, uh, and pretty much discovered him as a writer. So I don't think he had too much to worry about there, but (laughs) that, that might've been part of it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if leaning into that is part of the reason for that musical cue, you know? Hmm. Yeah. This is, we, we finished the whole hero's journey, but you know, it's, <laughs> that, it doesn't mean anything. The hero's journey, but he just went to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the eye of the world will now forever be known as Cleveland. <laughs> Delaware. We're in Delaware. Oh, I've, I've been to both places. I'd rather go to Delaware. <laughs> Great. Now we're going to get a whole bunch of hate mail from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> They're used I, to it. I just want to say, uh, from what I understand, Cleveland rocks. And, and, <laughs> I know, Cleveland, somewhere. Cleveland is a fine town. Yes. It's a fine town. You know, I live in Salt Lake City. I'm not going to give anybody crap about where they live. <laughs> totally fair. Yes. It is interesting, though, if you look at it from, if you look at it from the music's perspective of, of the journey, right? Yeah, um, and having that kind of anticlimax musically, if that is a lead into, you know, hey, the story's not even close to being over, then that's really yeah, the story's well done. not even begun yet. You think yeah. the story's done and it hasn't started? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that's like actually part of the thought process, then that's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and and to be honest, I would not be surprised because they have really thought yeah. a lot of this show out, like to the finest detail. So. Especially by the time they were putting together the music for that final episode, they already knew they were getting a second season. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and, and we know what a climax sounds like in that show because the episode um, from uh, Flame of Tarvalon when Moraine gallops out of Tarvalon, that yeah. music just was intensely climactic. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask then what uh, your other kind of favorite moments from the other episodes were, and I, I really want to preface it by saying how interesting it is that they're all vocal moments. They're all like, they're, mm. none of the epic music moments uh, are without a vocal um, from sure. a human, which is cool. Yeah. And it's kind of a, um, a musical cheat code, you could say, um, because you know the, the fastest way to our emotion is someone else's voice. So if you use that, then easy. Uh, so yeah, That's what are right. some other moments that uh, that you guys thought? Well, I mean, there's a reason that gospel choirs go straight into your your brain and into your heart, right. and, and you mm-hmm. know, it, it's that exact that human connection in yeah. the music. 
Yeah, I mean, even John Williams, you know, it's as big and stirring and everything is. You listen to Duel of the Fates with that that exactly. chanting chorus in there. That yeah. that just that just takes it a whole another level above. Yeah, it yeah. gets you ready to run through a wall. It's you know? really <laughs> interesting to see how you can use those. Uh, I want to say tropes. I don't know if that's the right word, but those kind of tropes to your advantage. Where if you're listening to Game of Thrones music, let's say, which I love. Um, mm almost all strings like the whole time mm, yeah but then yep. we get to the end of i want to say season four and uh, one of the characters leaves and goes to a totally new world and now it's the theme but there's vocals with it and it's like mm -hmm. the clearest change of of mm -hmm. uh, like things are changing here that you could possibly do by just in, I, I think like that new might indicate the change element. was they actually got enough budget to get a, a chorus. To sing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> then they went and spent it all on dragons and this show went to crap. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Uh, I, I would say that it's funny. You mentioned the choir and I was the notes that I made for uh, Kaisen Shar, Kaisen Shar, <laughs> Old Blood was that it was an epic ballad and you could almost see the choir on stage for its performance. Hmm. Like if this was done yeah. in a hall, you could see the choir in the like layered staging on stage. You could hear them when they would come in for that song. It was an epic ballad um, that you would expect from a show. Yeah. And, and that's one that I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the translation for because, oh man, that one hits. Me too. I, when you said yeah. that there were translations for ones, I actually, in my notes, I made a section for what I was going to say about the lyrics because I first went through and just listened to it musically mm -hmm. and talked about, and, and made notes on it musically. Yeah. And then I went back and I'm looking at how many blank lyric ones I have. I'm like, no, I wanted more <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> Why do I only have like three songs? <laughs> Where's my dictionary? David, you've got something. Yeah, I was going to say that the other big music moments that – I can remember are the two funerals that happen in the third episode. And the yeah. interesting point about those is that yes, they have human singing in them, but the human singing in them are all in world for those, for that music instead of part of the soundtrack. Right. Mm -hmm. That Tom song, Manathra, they did a good job of making music also part of the world. Yeah. Right. It's, it seems natural when those musical moments happen within the world. And then, so that I think it kind of blends with the music that's being done underneath mm -hmm. beautifully. So you don't necessarily feel jarred between the transition. Which I'm really right. glad that they've been so, so uh, focused on that in world music because in the books, they, he talks about the music a lot because, you know, you've got Tom as a character in the books who's, who's around for quite a bit longer than he was in the first book than he was in this season. <laughs> um, so you get Tom, you know, singing and telling stories more often and, and often he would include lyrics and, and, you know, if you, if you can like follow the meter, you can kind of figure out a basic song structure for some of those songs. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, there, there are some songs in this show that they're going to have to bring at, bring the lyrics from yeah. the from the books in but they haven't done that yet but all of the songs that they have done in in world have felt like they are from the world so yeah they're yeah. nailing that to the wall and personally i love projects like that where you have somebody just providing lyrics and then someone else coming up with the melody i think of uh the uh uh mermaid avenue 
sessions that Wilco and Billy Bragg did where they mm-hmm. took old uh, unrecorded uh, Woody Guthrie lyrics. Uh, all of those are Woody Guthrie lyrics that Billy Bragg and Wilco set to music. And wow. there's some really fascinating stuff in there. It's really cool. So I, I love that uh, that idea. I'd lo- I I, I want to see what they do with with that. Yeah, there's also some beautiful sessions where they've done it with Shakespeare, because mm-hmm. I think there's only one, maybe two songs where we know the tune that like he wrote with it, or had somebody write with it. Whether or not you know he brought in somebody to write the the music, but other than that, we have moments from Shakespeare where we know it is sung. We don't know what was the tune, and so. The putting the effort into that, I think each theater kind of gets to decide how do we want to make this fit within how we're setting this play. Yeah, I think of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream has got that, doesn't it? Yes, it, 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 Festy has several songs. Oh no, so Midsummer Night's Dream has it as well. Twelfth Night has it, uh, especially Festy. Yes. Festy is kind of a glee man, um, he, so yeah. he has several moments in there that he's singing songs. I, I believe. No, that's. I don't think any of his are ones that we have the tunes to. So they're made up by uh, the performances that get put on. That's really cool. And and one other note about the uh, the Weep from Netherin, uh song, mm-hmm. it's got that you know old English uh, folk sort of. I think Dorian mode. I think is. I, I've been a long time since I took any music theory, but uh, it, where it's got that sort of that that minor melancholy feel to it but then you throw in those the the sort of uh that that kind of offset harmony where you've got the the lower bass parts the singer you know that the Mm -hmm. parent sings that is very sophisticated and modern Mm -hmm. that's not something you find in a lot of uh in a lot of folk songs like that so from a songwriting perspective it's very cool there are a lot of folk songs that had parts, especially so uh, with folk songs that were ones that traveled, um, you would have people learned it one way and people learned it another, but the meter was usually the same. So sometimes the parts that would come out were somebody having learned it a different way from their town mm-hmm. and they're singing it within and it it makes an interesting harmony or uh, an offset like you're talking about with parents' lines. Um, so that wasn't uncommon but uh, it is a sophistication to this one that was a nice level. Yeah. I mean, I associated that one with something like a, uh, you know, uh, like a 60s folk group, you know, Peter, Paul and Mary or a, uh, yeah, a yeah. Weavers. I can see that. A Weavers where you kind of have that little, that, that little offset part that just kind of. Well, punctuates. how appropriate to have the Weavers with the Wheel of Time. Yeah, true, true. The pattern. Yeah. <laughs> and weaving the lyrics. Yeah. I wish, that, uh, I wish that I wish that that moment was longer. I'm sure we all do. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I I went back. I went back into the books just to read the original Weep from Manetherin monologue that that Maureen gives because I was like, man, it would have been nice to have just the whole thing there. And then I realized it was like 20 pages long. <laughs> There's no way they were going to get through that. So, the this episode good, is purely Weep from Manetherin. <laughs> So Hear the cover so, yeah, with the song 20 was verses. Good, but yeah, I really wish the song was a little bit longer. There was so much. <laughs> I do It'll be in to... the extended version when I... they release the, the three hour version of that episode. They'll, they'll do the full <laughs> I do have to say. Sorry, Jordan. I kind of interrupted. <laughs> no, no, you that's there. all good. I, I totally have to say, though, that as awesome as the sound design was for the whole show, the one moment that bugs me is in that scene. 
because Rand is like tapping his leg, right? <laughs> and it's like clear that the sound designers purposefully made him a little off time. And I'm like, oh, that would be so unnatural to to yeah. to be that off time. It would be so hard to do that. And I was just like, oh, man, that was the one moment that, that irked me so much because I was like, it'd be so hard to actually be off time like that. <laughs> the parts that take a sound designer out of a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've come to peace with uh, with the sword shing and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> putting people out of time. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't come to peace with that one. <laughs> yeah, I heard you, know, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it takes a certain skill to be out of time like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that as awesome as that scene was, it pulled me out a little tiny bit, but anyways. Well, and I wonder how much of it was, he was out of, they like, they had him be out of sync when they were doing it or how much they just like shifted his uh, moment. <laughs> so that it was out of yeah. sync and he was actually yeah. in sync. Like it yeah. could be either way. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's good though. Um, so going back to, uh, uh, what we were discussing earlier, uh, the instrumentation, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, you know, we talked about the fact that, that you don't often hear electric guitar in a fantasy show. Um, there's a lot more you don't often hear in a fantasy show, which, you know, things like folk music, things like, mm -hmm. you know, tribal style drumming or, or, um, you know, East Asian influence sounds that just do not show up in, in those kinds of shows that are showing up all over this soundtrack. The instrumentation I think is just amazing. Um, in, in one of those behind the scenes, uh, he, Lauren was even talking about, uh, pulling from Cajun tradition. Uh, that, uh, as you know, as someone of Cajun heritage, uh, -huh. uh that I didn't really hear. I didn't, I didn't hear it because of the instrumentation and the tonality. You know, and the yeah. mod and and the modes of of the music. I didn't really catch a lot of that. Yeah, I but, didn't really pick up like a Cajun, a, 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 like a Cajun time or tonality or, or right. anything like that. Mm -hmm. But but I think he was just talking strictly instrumentation wise. He was like, "Here's some instruments that tend to not get used as much." That know, I didn't really hear. I didn't really hear accordion and violin and triangle and washboard. Hmm. You know, that I didn't. I didn't really hear. So I took a little. Ex I, I kind of went hmm when he first said that in the interview and I didn't bring it up last week, but yeah, that, that kind of was like, uh, yeah, not, not, not exactly. I like how we were, we were talking about this with the guitar, but I, I like how in general with the show, I mean, it's only eight episodes and like the story picks up like right away. Like we have, you know, what, like the first half of the first episode, maybe things are nice. And then it's like, yeah we're done for that moment hits and you're yeah. like, Holy jeez!" <laughs> but um, <laughs> what's really cool. And what I like is that, um, that beginning music, a lot of it is something that Howard Shore did with the, uh, Hobbit music, which is trying to create some music that could plausibly, plausibly been played by those people. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we hear are those folk instruments and guitar and whatever in the score. And so, yeah as we move away from that is when they move away from the two rivers, which is really an interesting kind of, a kind of touch there, I think. Right. Yeah. Howard Shore yeah. did a similar thing with Titanic. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the mm -hmm. opening scenes in Liverpool with a lot of, you know, a, a, a lot of sort of penny whistles and, you know, instrumentation of the time of the place. 
then it got a you know more epic when they're out to sea, and then of course there's that fantastic scene with the dance and the uh, and and the lower decks. Uh, yeah, that that's something that uh, that Howard Shore has done before, and yeah. it's it's a nice touch, and it's cool that Lauren picked that up. Yeah, I had a, I had one question for David, I think, um, and for everyone really, but there's this one uh, I can't even call it a. Th- theme i don't know but this thing that the violin does like through the whole show it's like a a frantic kind of uh, short high jumps on the string yeah and it just wants you to tense up so fast so what i'm curious about from everyone is is what we think that represents the sound of clinching, that's for sure. <laughs> so I was trying to figure happen? that out too, because it the first time you hear it on the soundtrack is the Moraine's track. And it's like, are we supposed to be really tense around Moraine? Or maybe the showrunners are saying this is how everybody would be when an Aes Sedai walks in the room. Like it's a that's it's a true. tension moment. But then or, like or you mentioned, Jordan, it gets the- used a lot. Or maybe that's the tension she feels inside herself that she doesn't it let could show. be. Yeah, it could be. It makes me curious. I want to go back and listen to when that music gets played and when that effect comes in within the song. Is it perhaps like when she's walking into the um, tavern and there's that reaction yeah. both from them and from her of suddenly mm-hmm. being in that moment? Is it maybe tied to that? Or did it come up maybe during the, like getting ready for the fight? Like I, I would want to go back and listen. If I remember that. right, it's in the intro to Moraine, like before she's even traveling to the two rivers. It's like when you first, so see it's, her like, it's like a character thing. Yeah. If I remember right. Well, I'll check, I'll check that out. Yeah. If, if that's the case, then I think it might be more to what Ruark was saying of, uh, I mean, she, in that beginning scene, when she's getting ready, She's also getting ready to go out and do a completely tense thing. She's going to go find the Dragon Reborn and all that's, in, you know, encapsulated with that of is she going to have to kill him? Is she going to, you know, have to help her be, you know, what she's going to be like? All of that tension that Moraine is going through in that moment would make sense. But yeah, I now I'm really curious where it falls because I, I, I. Yeah, I, I need to watch. I need to rewatch the show with, uh, you know, with checking out the music in context, because honestly, the way I did it was I listened to the, the to the soundtrack several times without context, mm-hmm. and uh, that you know that that kind of cued me into the you know the the more theory and instrumentation yeah. and production aspects of it, and helps but pick as up on the t- themes a little bit easier, right? Yeah. yeah, and as it turns into the uh, as it as it goes with the show, I need to rewatch that with a little more in mind. Yeah. I I was just having that same realization as we were having this discussion is I can't wait to go watch everything again and start looking for these little musical cues everywhere. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Cause I did the same thing as, as, as you're mentioning and all my notes are like, this is probably happening in this kind of a place. And now I want to go back and see if I was correct in that. There's, Mm -hmm. um, one quick note that I want to make on what you guys just said, and then I want to come back to this weird violin thing that's going on. But uh, I, I had an interview on my podcast with Doug Adams, who um, he wrote a book. I have it right here called The Music of the Lord of the Rings, and it's one of the best books ever. He breaks down every theme, and, and because he was there with Howard the whole time, he was like a student that was at his side 
um, taking notes. Why were you doing this? Why were we doing this? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, oh, really, that's really, awesome. really fantastic book and an awesome guy. But one thing, one of the things that he was mentioning when I interviewed him was that most of the time when these soundtracks are released, it's um, before the locked um, episodes are done. So right. you might hear variations, and that's probably why that Battle of Beltine doesn't have the uh, the ending piece to it, because it maybe that cut wasn't done yet but we got to get the soundtrack out. So here's like a finished version of that track for the album. You know what I mean? So just another reason for you guys huh. to go back and watch the show, because yeah, some of that music might not be actually how it appears. There's some, there's some uh, themes in the Lord of the Rings that on the soundtrack are definitely not how they are in the movies. There's definite changes to them. And it's, it's kind of fixed now that they've released like the complete recordings. But uh, the original releases, yeah, and there's some that just don't even exist because we thought we were going to have that scene and then we cut it out and or it's extended or different or whatever, right? Uh, so definitely worth it to go back and, and watch in that way. That's that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I want them to release the in-world music. You know, mm. I, I want to get Tom's song solo. Yeah. I want to get the uh, the Twathon And we know uh, they have it music. really like well recorded. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. know they do. <laughs> we know they do. <laughs> um, but just to go back quickly to this violin deal that I'm stuck on. Um, yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's um, like the darkness whenever that is around is when that's oh. happening. Um, and I'd have to watch and listen just for that cue. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm pretty sure it's pretty prominent when they're uh, taking the ferry across. Um, so mm -hmm. it it could almost, I don't, you're, you can totally dive like way too deep on this kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I don't know, Howard Shore thought it all out. So uh, yeah, maybe no. not, but um, so, <laughs> you know. I seem to remember it when they're entering the blight too, really heavy. So it mm. could, I, I don't know. It would be really interesting if it was like proximity to the fade or something like that. Um, you know. Yeah. Just from what I've seen of Lorne Balfi, I, I or sorry, Lorne Balf. I got to learn how to say his name correctly. Um, from what I've Scottish, seen, Scottish. Just think of it that I've, way. Yeah. And and what I've experienced uh, there, I I feel like yes, he did absolutely plan all of those little things out. I don't think he left things up to chance or just you know I'll throw a, a stray note over there. I think it's all very planned out. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that that violin part, definitely it's it's there for the tension. It's there for the mystery. You don't know what it it uh, it you know, what what it personifies. Yeah. You don't know what exactly gets tied to that sound. All you know is that, you know, hackles get up. It's tension yeah. time. There's something going on that's dangerous. There's something going on that's uh, we don't know what the hell is going to happen. And that leads it back to. That leads it back to that conversation of is it thematic or is it sound designy? Because yeah, it could not both. be a theme at all. It could just be a, like a tool to get you to yeah. feel something. We need we need tension in this scene, so crank up the yeah. the yeah the it's high. It's that little sixth sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it could be a signature of Lauren Balf because I I seem to remember uh, thinking back to the home soundtrack when things get really tense and the the spheres of the Earthlings are flying off to their new place that same kind of violin tension being put into that. So it could be one of his kind of signature things when he's trying to create tension. Yeah. I mean, and I think you could probably trace 
that uh, that sort of you know it is kind of a soundtrack trope when you when you think about it. You know, oh, yeah. you think of screechy violins, you think of danger. You know, you think of Psycho. You think of yeah, the yeah, uh, I was gonna say Psycho movies. Is yeah, you, you think yeah, of yeah. Jaws. You think yeah. of you know, well, John Williams, of course. You know, he's that's things he's going to do. Uh, so you know, it's it it goes back. I'm sure you could find you know. It, it, Jump scares have that shriek, you know, on probably ninety percent of you know horror movies that, that you watch. I you know, can't watch those types of movies. Well, it's it's <laughs> pairing it's pairing the visual uh, stimulus that you want with an audio stimulus that's going to ensure that the video visual stimulus really hits home. Right, yeah. and you know they'll do that if you jump scare. It's like oh, and it's a little cat, but then when the giant monster comes, you don't get that. They don't so. play it. Yeah, yeah. That leads to a, a, another question that I did have, actually, um, oh. which is I'm curious how you guys watched the show for the first time, meaning uh, what kind of audio environment did you have when you were watching it? Because I think that obviously this is true for a lot of shows, but especially for this one, for those big, like naive moments, it, you need the sound to be good for it to sell it. And I'm really curious the ratio of people that, you know, I've seen some comments online that it's like, oh, it's slow or whatever. Um, and I wonder if that's a byproduct of their kind of uh, listening environment not lending itself well enough to actually being able to experience these things properly. It's like if you go right. see, just as a really quick side note, um, you need to see Dune in a theater to experience what that's really like. Or the with new a, one? yeah, the new one. You need to go and see it in a theater to really get the sense of what that movie can be. To, to get that Dolby uh, Atmos shake your ass feeling. Yeah, and yeah. because that's how Zimmer did the score, you know. Yeah. Um, and and same with the sound design. So I'm curious what you guys, uh, what your environment was like when you watched it. I'll admit up front that I know I didn't watch it at, at peak. Like I wasn't able to use my Bose system because. I've got a three-year-old, and at this point, watching these kinds of shows is either going to be during his nap or after he's gone down. So we can't watch it the full immersive feel the music. Yeah. Um, at some point, maybe I should take a day that he's not home and and the watch a couple episodes full of it. But uh, no, so I, I, I got I got a reasonable experience, but I probably didn't get as in depth as some people did. I had my Vizio sandbar with a subwoofer, so it was pretty good for those moments for me. <laughs> nice. I, I watched it exactly like this. I watched it on my on my uh, on my PC, on my monitor, headphones, this close. You know that that's that's how I did it. Nice. Yeah, I I watched in uh, the each of my first watches was in the living room on my large screen TV, and I've got uh, Mackie HR eight twenty four studio mo reference monitors in there for my my Ooh. tv sound so yeah it sounds really fucking amazing honestly <laughs> yeah um, nice. yeah i'm always yeah, interested to, to know that kind of thing especially because um with the kind of immersive audio that's happening with dolby atmos and mm -hmm. the kind of things that can handle that um as an example like i have my ipad here um that has really good speakers on it actually. And it has yeah. Atmos enabled on it, um, which my, my Mac doesn't even have yet because I have a slightly older Mac. Um, mm. So I, I would watch, and I actually did watch the moment where Nynaeve heals everyone on my iPad. 
and yeah. uh, it was super epic because it is arcing all around me. Um, oh, same wow. thing with the, uh, especially in that that um, in the pathway uh, scene that I keep forgetting the name of the ways. The ways in that scene because everything's swirling around. If you have the proper kind of audio setup, it is actually doing that swirling around you oh, and wow. stuff like that. So. Cool. Um, I gotta say, I'm a little nervous now because if the naive unleashing all that magic can get more epic than what I watched, I don't know if I'm gonna handle it. You know, <laughs> you know that is really exciting. Your eyes yeah. will bleed. Uh, apparently, kind of I'm a little nervous now. I couldn't move for like at least two minutes after that scene was done. Oh, I was moving. I was cheering. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, <laughs> couldn't speak, right couldn't move, couldn't function for a good two minutes after that scene. That is one thing that I did that I really enjoyed about the show. And it's really definitely helped by the music is that every time there was going to be an epic moment, you knew there was going to be an epic moment because the, the way it was built up to it um, and not really like in a cliche way, it was just done in a like, Oh man, especially because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what anyone's capable of. So every time something happened, I was like, holy Jesus, this is so awesome. Because <laughs> I had no idea what it could be, right? Um, or who could do what. That's a big part of it as well. Um, but what I was going to say was something that I might recommend to people is that if you have like a new iPhone or something like that, um, to even try watching and listening on some headphones that way because it's Atmos enabled on your iPhone. Um, cool. So... Whereas even even on a Mac or on a PC, um, unless you have a unless you're on a brand new Mac with Safari, it's not Atmos enabled. So um, even if you have headphones on, it can't translate it. But on a phone, it it can do it on almost any new phone now. So now I need to go cool. look and see how my Samsung is set up. Does <laughs> totally uh, PS Five do that by chance? It should yeah. It's not yeah, Atmos on so. PS Five. Um, yeah, it, it's their own directional there, audio, yeah. whatever they call it. Yeah, but, but it, yeah, it's yeah. definitely uh, capable for sure. Yeah, maybe I'll have to go rewatch with with my headphones on PS Five. Would recommend. Happens. Also, just listening in headphones is is worth it. Um, yeah, yeah. My 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 sure. second third second through like twelfth watch of each episode <laughs> is usually with headphones in, on my computer. But yeah, yeah, yeah. cool stuff. This episode is brought to you by 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some awesome art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like The Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. If you're a fan of fantasy, be sure to check out Watch Party's Lord of the Rings podcast. Join Michael and Jen as they delve too greedily and too deep into Tolkien's legendarium in anticipation of Amazon's big-budget adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. They go deep into prior adaptations like Peter Jackson's film trilogies and the 1977 animated adaptation of The Hobbit, and discuss leaks, lore, and potential plot lines for the upcoming show. Whether you're a diehard fan looking for serious analysis or a new fan looking to get up to speed, Watch Party Lord of the Rings is for you. Watch Party Lord of the Rings, part of the Watch Party Podcasting Network. So coming back, uh, DW, you were telling me you had a, uh, some notes on the songs from uh, the first turn, I believe that album is called. 
Yes, um, I, although I'm probably going to need some forgiveness for my pronunciation of the old tongue. Um, <laughs> but New uh, mouth, old tongue. And pretty much. And I mean, you guys may remember them, but I don't know if my, my notes are going to necessarily put these songs in your head. Um, but like uh, the first one on that is uh, Mashithamel, um, which means young love. And I mean, it was the first one I listened to, so my notes are kind of light on it. But it was noting that the instrument choice and the musicality, it, it, as we spoke about earlier in this, it had that folk music with a modern touch feel. So you've got like that, you can hear the lyrics are kind of done folky, but then you're hearing like a little bit of electric guitar and a little bit of other things that are making a little more modern. And so that again, it blended really, really well. Um, and it being young love, I'm sure was used in, in uh, a, a uh, lovey scene and it definitely would have fit for that. It also um, stands out though. Like every time I've listened to the soundtrack on shuffle, I know right when that one hits within like the first four notes. Nice. Um, um, and, and I'm just going to say, uh, since we've got Jordan here with us, Hey Jordan, what do you say about, uh, maybe we just, uh, throw in a little edit marker right here and you throw a few seconds of, uh, the song that he just was talking about in. Sounds good. All right. And that was a great little sample of that song. <laughs> Moving on to uh, the next one you were talking about. Moraine Sedai, um, <laughs> which was inspirational. It was it was definitely written with that kind of, uh, this is somebody that's going to be going on that, that difficult quest kind of feel. Um, uh, almost classic, uh, not in the sense of being classical music, but classic as in you've heard that type of music used for the uh, questing character before. The timeless motif. Yeah. Yes. It feels very um, trailery, almost. Yeah. Like trailery yeah. montage. Well, I mean, it's setting up her journey. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice one. And it does have that violin thing. I was just listening quickly again. And yeah, it does have it right there at the start. Yeah. Well, and I think you can uh, throw that violin thing in right here for us to listen right now. And uh, moving on to the next track, what did you have for us? Uh, Tomorrow Island? <laughs> Web of Destiny. Tomorrow um, Alien. Tomorrow Alien. 
Alien. Tomorrow, Alien. Yes, you're going to Alien today? No, tomorrow, Alien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Web of Destiny. Um, this is one of those that I really want to hear the lyrics to. Uh, it was very modern. Yeah. This yeah, one definitely much. felt like uh, different from how uh, Mashithamel was done. This felt like a folk song that somebody decided to update and mm-hmm. do a modern take on. So you could feel the history of the music, but like it was done by a modern band who wanted to get that that feel out there. Um, I really want to hear the lyrics for that because it, it was a very interesting um, song. To your next one, uh, I Sedai, Servants of All, uh, feels of, of an Eastern influence, which was unusual with some of this music. Um, it didn't necessarily stand out in a way that felt unconnected, but it definitely felt uh, from a different place, which I thought was interesting. That that kind of defines the Aes Sedai. <laughs> they're not unconnected, but they're definitely from a different place than the rest of the people that are kind of moving around in the world. Um, and that one does have a little hint of the melody that's used in the uh, in the big uses of power moments, which oh, makes okay. sense. Definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good hint to uh, drop in that little piece of melody right about here. Next on the list was Ost Ninto Shostja. Uh-huh. That one ain't even close. That's that's fairly close, yeah. <laughs> on your knees, total villain music. <laughs> this was the villain song. <laughs> like Sox you theme. hear that and you know exactly on your knees, you felt it. Um and and it did so if I if I remember correctly, I don't think that one had lyrics. It just was the the okay, we're in the limit the villain's lair kind of music in a tense moment. Very well done, very mood setting, as well as thematic. Um, you know, it, it was a, a, an exceptional piece. 
in, in again, feeling not neutral to the world, feeling a part of the world, but there was some foreboding to it and well done. Which is interesting because I would think by the title that that relates to the Amerlin seat or Suan. I actually thought from the title that it was going to somewhat relate to the White Cloaks. Oh, I could see both of those. Again, not knowing when this was, but I feel like this music may have been during one of the uh, Inquisition moments, uh, eating the bird or eating the suckling pig. Kind of that, <laughs> that was where I felt I need to go yeah. back and listen to where this music fits And I was in. conflicted when I was listening to it because I read the title and I'm like, oh, okay, so this is going to be about Swan. But then the music itself is, like you said, more villainous and doesn't really relate to Swan as a character or her relationship with Moraine. So. And speaking of that song, here it is. So moving on to the next song in that soundtrack, um, I'll introduce this one because this is my favorite song on the entire friggin' soundtrack, Mashiara. <laughs> this thing has been going around my head for weeks. I love this song so much. Uh, the only thing that I'm sad about is this song did not exist when I got married. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think a lot of Wheel of Time fans are going to have this in their ceremonies going forward? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there, there is no doubt in my mind. <laughs> and replace Inya. <laughs> <laughs> Which, strangely enough, was one of the soundtracks I used to listen to when I would read The Wheel of Time when it first came out. <laughs> oh, cool. Show of um, hands, who, who here got married to Inya? Nope, yeah, that's just me? you. Okay. Buddy. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler? <laughs> yeah. Want to grow old with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's better than you no, know, not, lunch not lady like, land. Uh, turkey, turkey. <laughs> <laughs> lunch lady land. So, uh, your, your notes on, on Mashiara. <laughs> I, I mentioned, I mentioned <laughs> definitely turkey related. Um, no, I mentioned it earlier. Um, but they essentially, it felt written in such a way, again, not remembering that the braid was specific, which made it more specific to Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the way I was first reading those lyrics, I was thinking of it in a generic like, OK, all wisdoms have this. It's a song tool wisdom. But there, like, there's there's certain songs that people write in kind of like more uh, religious rock where mm-hmm. the lyrics could be to your significant other or they could be to the person you worship uh, religiously. Like yeah. it, like the lyrics could be used either way and they're interchangeable. And that is kind of the feel I got from the music. And then when I looked at the lyrics, saw that it could be possibly that, like this could be to your love or to that wisdom that you really respect. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, thought, I thought that was interesting. They kind of hit that note for it. But knowing more of the information uh, and knowing that it is more dialed in on Nynaeve and Lan, um, it, it, it kind of gives me a different, a different take. And now I want to go back and listen to it again. Yeah. yeah I want to, I definitely want to do that too. You know, when you mentioned like modern praise music and the, the ambiguity of lyrics, it only works until like the third verse. Yeah. Then it's like, you know, 
I love you. I love you. I love you. When you died on that cross, like, yeah, okay, suddenly, now okay, I know what this know, is about. Know. Or this is a really, really bad relationship. Well, and the reason I mentioned those, those uh, <laughs> the reason I mentioned those long stretches of road in, in uh, specifically in California, but I know they've got them in other places where that music's very popular is you'll be going through and you'll be like, okay, I don't know this song. Let's listen for a second and find it. No, this is a religious station. Okay, next station. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. Is this a religious song? No, this is easy listening. Okay, we're good. <laughs> I've driven across Texas. I know of what you speak. Exactly. And it's nothing. If that's your music, hey, good on you. Um, but it's not necessarily what I was looking for. And well, they, they kind of trust that, maybe. With, with, with that lead in, uh, yeah, here's a little section of Mashiara. So, uh, moving on, we had uh, El Naito. Uh, El Naito, the flame. Yes. This one was weirdly otherworldly, but modern. Like, it, it, it felt, again, when I talked at the beginning about how I felt they kind of pulled from both sci-fi as well as uh, f- fantasy that's we think of being set in our past, like, this one felt like a space moment. Mm. And this okay. one felt like, the, and then look at the lyrics, they're cold and sad, but they're almost yeah. like a vow. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about those lyrics for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, do you have those lyrics in front of you? Uh, I'm pulling them up right now. If not, I do myself. Right. Yeah. Um, so the pillar, the prodigy, nothing but the seat. No life, no love of one's own, nothing but the seat. And it repeats that and then comes yeah. back to attend you all who comes, the keeper of the seals, noble daughter of the river, the enduring flame of Tarbalon. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I kind of like in reading it, I'd already felt kind of this otherworldly feel, but the, the cold and alone I felt for the seat of the Emerald seat and mm-hmm. how like the weight of it, the standalone, and then in her relationship with Moraine, not being able to have that relationship really. And like, Oh God, it just tore my heartstrings. Yeah. And if you look at the poster that the wheel of time production released those lyrics on, it shows Moraine looking through the window, just like the painting that she has in her room, except it's now her specifically looking through that window. So it definitely calls to that relationship and how it's, kind of forbidden love for the Amarillan seat. Yeah, very much so. Oh, <laughs> 
So next we've got uh, Kaizen Char. Uh, old Kaizen Char Old Blood. Yeah. Um, we already talked about this, or I, I mentioned my notes to this one already, um, but it, it was an epic ballad. It was, uh, and, you know, you, we've been using the word trope for this, but it, it was what you would hear in any epic movie. This was that epic moment. And when the extra voices came in, you could see the performance of this being done at the Hollywood Bowl with the choir on stage and being lit up for the moments that the choir joins in. It was just well written in that epic feel. Yeah, very much so. And uh, our next one, uh, do you have anything for Amon Sendai? Dragon Reborn. Um, so again, looking at the tropes of music and storytelling, um, this one was the recovery tune for the hero. Like maybe even a montage. <laughs> this had that feel of like, this is the moment where um, they've, they've been beaten and they're, they're, they're getting back, they're training again because we're about to head into the next thing. That was the feel I got off of this music. Another one that I want to want to read the lyrics to. Yeah, that would be all of them in in my case. But yeah, <laughs> yes, but there's some that I'm ranking a little higher. This is on that higher list. I want to see all of the lyrics. Yeah. Um. So yeah, here's a little section from that. your next note Norev Al-Zafid mm-hmm. two halves of the one hole cliffhanger music this was the you know the end of the story we're not telling you the answer the credits have started rolling and you're mad like <laughs> no no you need to tell me this now I can't wait till next week it was a very very uh, beautiful piece of music for that again I kind of want I'm, I'm looking forward to going back watching it again and seeing where these pieces fit in and see if they fit with the theme that I got from them, but that was what I got off of that song. Ah. 
then we got uh, Al Duval for The Light. Uh, do you have anything for that? Yes. One of my favorites to take notes on. <laughs> this one. This one was a rock song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Total rock song. And then I saw the lyrics. Honor Horror? This is dark. This it is, is a wartime battle march. This is the thing. This is the orcs in um, in Lord of the Rings singing songs. This is yeah. like the the horrible, horrible song that when you hear, they're happy singing it, and everyone hearing it is going, "Oh no!" Um, <laughs> but and done to this great rock song. I, I, oh man, it's it's like Imagine Dragons covering Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd have I'd have to so, I'd have to check this. I'm not positive. Maybe you guys know, but it does sound a lot like this one uh is a bit of inspiration for what the final track of the third volume is. Yeah, I think you might be correct there. Yeah. Yeah, which is that when we see the ships coming. Yeah. Um and this whole otherworldly kind of crew shows up and stuff's not looking good. That's when I think that from that the West is, is that uh, track. Yeah. 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 I think that there's some crossover there, which is pretty cool. I would say, which makes me wonder if there's some crossover in ideology. Between the white cloaks the and people. Them. Yeah, exactly. Do the people coming, are they like, like white cloaks are going to like, see, we told you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I also I mean, find it interesting in the lyrics where the the first thing that's said is question truth. Yeah. And it's like, um, okay, I'll, well, I'll does read those, truth read mean truth or does truth mean the Aes Sedai who have to tell the truth? Yeah. I'll go ahead and read those lyrics here. It's pretty short. Uh, it's question truth, purpose, punishment, honor, life, horror, and hope. Give light, oppose the power to channel the mighty military, the golden glory. And then repeats from there. But it, and then and it ends with that question, truth, honor, life as the, the mantra of it, too. Yeah. So. Sounds a lot like the Republican Party, if you ask me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that this, this feels like the, the march that they probably teach their, their soldiers, the tune yeah. to march to. Because this it, it's got that pride in saying it. But the people who hear but, it, but also short military oh. cadence kind of feel. To yeah. It. And yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see where you're going with that. Uh, speaking of here, it is right now, right now. your next notes what did you have uh this one's number three on my list of wanting to hear the lyrics too because this one uh wab char bonded oh. it was a melancholy ballad yeah like the imagery i got from it was rain and sadness that's like washing away this the dead that from a battle that was just lost mm -hmm. like it was it was so sad and um but had that kind of like hopeful feel to it um, that was used in those moments. And so th this one, I really want to read the lyrics to because I'm curious if that fits with the music or again, also see where it's used in the, the, uh, in the show. So I could see I'm if it fits. I'm sure that has something to do with, uh, 
the uh, after the the battle with the false dragon, where you would get the. Uh, that was the one I felt with, but I also felt like maybe at the end of um, the uh, when when um, Faden Pan, uh, Patton Fain, Patton Fain, when Patton <laughs> Fain uh, is revealed at the end and stabbing people and stuff like that, like that moment, like oh, what is going on? No, this can't be. You know, those moments of watching people that you don't want to be dead now dead kind of thing, or not dead, or you know. But maybe I, a metaphor for that bond between Ice Die and Warder and how yeah. you have to feel that sadness that they feel. And yeah. anytime anything yeah. happens, you're going to be a part of it. Actually, that's noting the name of it. It probably was used for um, the funeral at the White Tower. Right. That's kind of what I'm thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. it probably Not was. Because place it directly. Yeah. Which did not have a happy ending. No, <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Yeah, I, I need to re-listen to that and uh, you know get with the with the you know what the in-world music was with that because that's that's the one with the Beethoven throat singers and yeah. And then our last track, uh, Mordero Sheen, Bringers of Mordero Death. Sheen, related to Charlie. Um, <laughs> Mordero Sheen. Uh, the the note that I made for this. Prolix um, blood, man. Pure prolix blood. <laughs> Winning. Um, <laughs> the the main feel I got from this primal and spiritual. Yeah. This had the feel of like other scenes that I could see playing music like this were the scenes at um, from the second uh, Matrix movie when you see uh, the oh all, yeah the, the cave rave yeah exactly yeah. that that yeah. that energy of just energy and it's funny that you brought that up because one of the things that it reminded me so much of was the music of Juno Reactor which did the music for that Matrix cave rave scene so yeah. yeah. The, right on there.
Yeah, and and yeah, that was the song that I, I was saying at the beginning. Like you know, we were saying it reminds us of a, an old industrial song or something mm-hmm. like that, and that build up in there. And I just, I really want to break out my old DJ equipment and just <laughs> drop some like six <laughs> Brillix bass drop right at the top of that 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 build up because oh man, it is oh, trollic man. dubstep. I there you go. tell you, man, that's a that's a genre nobody saw coming. Has anyone been able to tell whether or not Daft Punk has eyes? Oh, that's a good question. They are the eyeless. <laughs> well, they do a lot. Of, they, 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 part of the equipment is faders. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, nice. Really, you just made a music production dad joke. <laughs> yes. yes, I did. Have you met me? <laughs> Oh, so getting through all of those uh, little snippets of soundtrack, uh, I think we're we're running out of uh, stuff to talk about. Did anybody have any other uh, questions or topics or rants that you wanted to bring up before we close this thing down? Well, my first comment is I failed. Uh, I didn't listen to the uh, to the first turn in itself because I thought ah. it was just kind of a sampler. I didn't oh. realize it was the actual. Yeah, actual themes brought to music. So I was, yeah. yeah. Thank you for doing the homework, DW. I didn't. <laughs> no worries. Uh, <laughs> now I got to listen to it. Well, I, my one complaint, and this goes on something that you said already, Greg. Um, I want the uh, Tom album. Yes, like not mm-hmm. just the one song you sang. I want a few that aren't in the show. Like just put together. And he says in the creating the music that he's like, well, you know, they didn't even know if I could sing. I didn't really. And it's like, no, you've got, I've said this to many people in time working in folk music and that kind of stuff that everybody has a voice that you could find a song that Mm -hmm. works for it. That's true. And him embracing Tom Waits and really that, that gritty feel Oh God, mm-hmm. I want that album and I'm going to play it on loop and it'll be the soundtrack <laughs> to my day. I, I'm, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. So that yeah. it fits like, right like in there with me. Tom Marilyn <laughs> sings the standards. Kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. But I also, but I want some of them to be in like old tongue and I want them to be yeah. from that world. Like I want to listen to his set. Like he, he shouldn't just come on and sing one song. I want an episode to just be like, they get tickets to a Tom concert and they go. <laughs> <laughs> and they like just listen to his music the whole episode. Well, that would be perfectly fine with me. He probably wasn't stored through the heart of Saturday night. <laughs> exactly. Those, uh, Depress that depressing song probably wasn't what he normally sings. So I want to hear the, uh, the upbeat, happy stuff that makes him called a glee man. Yeah. Yeah. And and of the rest I'm of it. Also intending on learning that song personally. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking forward cover of it to, at some point. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the Maryland Live at Alcare Dolls album. <laughs> 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 Gonna be amazing. Yeah, Jordan, did you have any uh, final thoughts before we we wrap this thing up? Um, not not really. I'm excited for season two, uh, and we'll see if uh, we further develop these same things or if we get a bunch of new stuff. What the deal's going to be. Yeah. And moving on to mailbag, we've got uh, our very first audio mailbag sent to us uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, so we'll just drop that in right here. Hey, everybody at Watch Party Wheel of Time. This is Maria from the Netherlands. 
and I just want to say I'm really enjoying your show, mostly because I've read the books quite a few times, and while the show in some instances has been really exciting, it also has been a bit disappointing at times, but listening to your show, I've never really gotten to the point where I can enjoy it by itself, and especially listening to what people think and their theories uh, coming from people who've never read the books have really brought me to that point, that Ruark mention, where you can really enjoy it from a fresh perspective, and it gives back the feeling of, I really don't know what could happen. And that's something we serious, serious book lovers miss. Uh, so it's great to be there. On another point, when you mention um, the fact that they've dragged out um, finding out who the dragon is, I, 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 my two cents are really that I believe that as, as a um, screen element, it's it's been really wisely used because it helps the audience move very quickly to the point where they can see that every single one of these people are crucial and important to the story. In the books, it takes us quite a while to realize just how important each of them are and or each of them is. And here we are taken to that point right away. And so we are able to more easily identify and care for each of these characters from the go. And I think that was very well done while keeping us on our toes for a bit. I've I've appreciated to be able to see the strengths and the deepness, the depth, the profundity of of these characters' strengths and weaknesses so quickly in the story. And that's also going to help move other story arcs forward. So I've enjoyed it. So thanks, guys. Doing a great job. And Maria, thank you so much. That was such an amazing message to us. So any response from the rest of the panel? Thank you. Very yes. kind words. Great to hear from Maria. Glad we're entertaining you in, in your uh, watching this, having read. You're not our target audience, but hey, we'll take it. Everyone's our target audience, Craig. Well, true, <laughs> true, true. You know, I and I would say that that's actually very true because about half of the mail that that I've been seeing has been from people who have not read the books and and are really enjoying experiencing it for the first time with us. And about the other half are people who have read the books and are using us to see it for the first time, which was exactly why I put this together so I could see it for the first time through through all of your eyes. So, uh, you know, yes, all of them are our fans. We don't, we, we're not playing favorites here. And my, Which explains why I'm not in marketing. My wife actually had an interaction with someone this morning because she, she put our logo on a, a sweatshirt and wears it on a regular basis. And someone asked her about it and she was able to say, hey, yeah, we've got this podcast. My husband does it. And it's a couple who the wife has read through the entire books, audiobook style, but the husband has not. And they're both watching the show together. So... Our podcast is kind of the perfect thing perfect for them to listen to. to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love hearing those stories. Those are great. And I, we loved hearing from you, uh, Maria. Thank you for, for sending that in all the way from the Netherlands. We, we're really getting a, a worldwide fan base here, and I love that. I really Gotta love it. the internet. Yep. Gotta love it. Well, it also shows you where the show's reaching. The, yeah. the thing is, is that, you know, we say everyone's our target audience. However, really only people interested in Wheel of Time are our target audience. Anybody <laughs> not interested in Wheel of Time, yeah. probably not going to find the show very interesting. 
but the fact that those books are so um like they've spread the popularity of it has spread so we're getting both book readers and non-book readers from all over the world and then being able to find a way to uh you know experience that either again or for the first time with us i'm on yeah. And yeah, I am great. very much as well. Uh, moving on on our mailbag, we've got uh, one more. This one's from Jason. Uh, we, we, I've, I've mentioned Jason previously uh, when I said uh, a, a fan had told me that he and his husband had been decorating their tree together while listening to to our show. Uh, that was uh-huh. Jason. Oh, nice. Gotcha. Um, and Jason says, uh, loving the podcast series so far. Curious now, if now that season one of the show is over, if any of the podcast panel members are interested in or have you started to read the first book? Um, he's curious, uh, to see if, if you like the alternate telling of the tale and, uh, if so, or how are you going to stop yourself from spoiling the next season of the show? Or have you committed yourself to just not reading the books until the show is over? I've, I've committed myself to not reading till the show is over. there. Which I, is very itself. weird for me. <laughs> I've committed myself to Rurik had agreed to tell us when it's safe to read a book. Yeah, that's true. So as soon as as soon as they feel that book one will not spoil anything, they will let us know. That is when I plan on reading book one, and I'm going to do everything I can to stop until I'm then told that book two is safe. See how cool I mean, would it be? How cool would it be to to watch all however many seasons this is going to be? And then you just keep doing the podcast, but you're doing it chapter by chapter and reacting yeah, to the differences. There you go. That, that was actually something forever. I was thinking is, is after, exactly. after 10 years of this podcast, what are we going to do? And then I thought, well, we could just you're go straight start into the next the 20 years. Is book club. I have, I have no problem with that. Becoming <laughs> nope, a book not club. at all. <laughs> I got to tell you, it's, it's been my experience. One of the reasons why I was excited to get involved in this podcast is I, when Jurassic Park came out as the movie, I had not read the books. Several of my friends had. The amount of them that had read the books that did not enjoy the movie because of the changes, and I saw the movie, I really enjoyed it, and I picked up the book. And then I really enjoyed that. And so I've had a good experience encountering either the movie or TV version of something and then reading it because it seems that, you know, my mind is, they're never going to be able to create on screen what my mind can create. Yeah. So it's easier to see what they created and then let my mind wander afterwards. It, it's mm-hmm. easier to get these, the, the smaller section of it first and then have it expand into the larger world of the books than to have the larger world of the books and shrink it down to the smaller world. of the, Yes. Of the exactly. series and kind of Lord of the Rings, it was the other way for me where I, I had read the books first. And so there were all those things that's like, yeah. oh, they forgot this or, oh, well, they were assuming this or they like the Harry Potter books. A lot of the book, a lot of the movies assumed you read the books. They would include. Include little tidbits that you're like, well, if you didn't read the books, you don't know why that works. Fan service. Yeah. And well, not even necessarily as fan service. I think it was for time. So oh, they were just, yeah, they I were think they, they pretty much assumed that anybody watching Harry Potter was a Harry Potter fanatic because everybody in the world at that point in time was. So yeah, right. exactly. shortcut by not having to bother with setup. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I really enjoyed, like, there's parts of me that kind of hopes maybe series like this will get this treatment. One of the things I think they did perfectly with The Lord of the Rings was to release a full version of it afterwards that included scenes that had to be cut for the when you've got the time constraint. And then so if there's anything else that they were hoping to include with this Amazon series, it'd be wonderful to be able to get a version of the uh, season that includes some of those left out moments. At least the rave cut. The rave cut, yes. (laughs) Anyway, back to Jason's letter. 
Sorry, sorry, digression. That's my middle name. No, no worries whatsoever. Um, Jason goes on to say, uh, as an avid book reader, I've been fixated at times on the changes made from the books to the show. Is there interest on on your part as the panel to delve more into what those changes are and discussing the hows and whys of some of the major changes that were introduced? And uh, I I, I yep. think that you guys are interested in that. I certainly mm-hmm. hope you're interested in that because I'm planning Sounds- an entire series of, of podcast episodes discussing that very thing, the differences between the books and the show. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to do that very, very carefully, however. I'm going to tell you what the book did and what the show did, but leave out the parts of the book that we have not seen yet that I know may still be relevant. There are things that we haven't seen in the book that are obviously not relevant any longer. And there are things that we have not seen in the book that may still hold some relevance. So I will leave those few details out until they, until we know that they are or are not relevant but I will cover the the other differences, and there's so much to cover there that I'm not even concerned. We'll 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 fill several episodes with that. So there's some more off season fun to look forward to. Um, and uh, Jason just finishes with thanks, uh, and we just want to say thanks to you, Jason. You've you've been one of our uh, earliest supporters and one of our diehard supporters, and we love you for it. So uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, fan club, yay, and all yay. of the. Uh, people that are leaving us reviews on Apple and Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, those reviews are helping us out a lot. Um, if you want to help us out even more, if you have not left us a review yet, you can go do that. Um, every review, every five-star review just brings us up in the rankings a little bit more makes it easier for people to find us when they're looking for wheel of time content. So, uh, yeah, we'd love it if you helped us out in that way. And, uh, that being said, and I think with that, I think we can call this an episode. We'll just wrap it up. Uh, say thank you as always to Michael and Jen out at the Watch Party Secret Island headquarters. Thanks, Michael and Jen. Thank you, thank guys. You. And a uh, big, huge, gargantuan, unbelievable amount of thanks to our super producer, Jordan Rennells, especially for this episode, because I know that we just asked you to do a whole lot of little edits, which is going to be a pain <laughs> in your ass, but we love you for it. Thank you so much, Jordan. But we it's in person this fate. time. Yeah. The only person on this episode whose job isn't done when we hit stop. (laughs) 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 All right. Final, final uh, question for the panel. We've got a lot of interesting and varied instrumentation going into this soundtrack from all over the world. What instrumentation do you want to see added? Lauren said in that, uh, in that behind the scenes, he mentioned Cajun music. And I took exception to that. We talked about that because uh, there's not a, a lot of that instrumentation. So I want to see a full-on chank-a-chank, accordion, acoustic guitar, triangle, and washboard song. We need more washboard. All right. I was going to say accordion and slide whistle Weird Al style. <laughs> Jordan, did you have an answer to our actual final question? Uh, I have two answers. One is, is, uh, I would love if this is a potentially futuristic kind of thing, uh, it Uh would be interesting to have some modern synth stuff come in, uh, to hint towards that. That could be interesting. Um, and my other answer is we've gotten some guitar, but I want some like eight string Tosin Abasi, like 
really Ooh. really intricate like math rock style stuff coming in that would be awesome. oh that'd be cool <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. nice that would be cool so in the vein of the washboard there's there's a part of me that wants to see and this is an odd answer but i want to see them actually put their heads together because there's some amazing musical talent on this and come up with an in-world instrument that doesn't exist. If it isn't already described in the books, I don't know. You know, as you've mentioned, he may have spent 20 pages on some instrument that we're going to see in a you know little bit. Mm-hmm. But if not, like come up with an in-world instrument. So like the washboard had a purpose in the world and became an instrument. Like mm-hmm. something along those lines that we could hear that would kind of, again, really flush out the music of this world as they like, oh, that's a this, which only exists in Wheel of Time. Oh, so like, you know, sort of wood blocks made from the skulls of Trollocs. <laughs> exactly. And what those sound like. Yeah. Kind of like the Ewoks with the uh, with, the <laughs> with, yes. with the stormtrooper heads at the end of uh, <laughs> the end of Return of the Jedi. Yubnub indeed. Ah, yes. What's Yubnub in the old tongue? <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying uh, that the Ewoks spoke old tongue. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. That means three PO speaks old tongue. Yeah, well, he, he is fluent in, in several million forms of communication. He's just not allowed so to translate. I wouldn't be surprised. It.